Welcome to the Geo Inspirations podcast series with Joseph Kursky. Well, greetings all. Welcome to another edition of the Geo Inspirations podcast, the Geo Inspirations podcast series through Directions Magazine. I really appreciate their support of this set of conversations that I've had with a amazing variety of people over the years. And today, I know that the listeners are really going to be excited about this because I've got one of my dearest colleagues and friends here with me, James Rattlingleaf. James, welcome. Well, thank you, Joseph. And also, it's good to be with you today as well. Looking forward to what we're going to talk about. I know a bit of how busy you are, so I really appreciate the time today, James. And I think many people in the community know who you are, but if you could describe who you are, your current position, and then we'll get into some some deeper conversation. Well, that's great. Well, again, I would I'd just say, um, you know, just to have a little fun with you, I just sort of introduced myself in a Lakota language. I know we've uh, worked on a story map, and I've been a student of my own Lakota language, and uh, I think it's important uh, your audience recognizes uh, that. And, and that uh, starting in the year 2022, it will be the decade for Indigenous languages. It'll be a UN declaration. Mm-hmm. So I just mm-hmm. really want to honor that this morning and today and say, um, say by, by saying, how be dakuapi, uh, it means um, greetings, good day. Um, I, um, I welcome you or I, I extend my hand to you um, from my heart. And we also say um, uh, James Rowlingleaf, that means uh, I am known as James Rowlingleaf. And we also then say that I am a citizen or a member of the Rulbutsu tribe. I come to you today as a consultant. I've been consulting uh, since 2008. And my area of, um, of expertise or work is centers really around uh, traditional knowledge and how that can work with uh, technology, how that can work with um, science and how we um, explore and uh, delve deeper into these two ways of knowing, for instance, and how we can apply those ways of knowing to some of the world's our most important and pressing issues of our time. So, um, so I'm a consultant, been doing this in 2008 and uh, getting very familiar with uh, um, Joseph here and his work, you know, was we met uh, many years ago and we've stayed in contact through the year. So, um, so that's who I am. And uh, I, I have a number of projects that I, I work on now. I'm happy to say that um, I have an affiliation with the University of Colorado Boulder. And so I'm with, with, that, with that program. Also, I serve as a co-principal investigator for the North Central Climate Adaptation Science Center. And all that work started about two and a half years ago. So we're well deep into that work now and happy to be part of that. And my last um, introduction uh, in terms of what I do and who I am is I'm a co-founder for the Geo-Indigenous Alliance, which is a global effort, really bringing together indigenous people and how earth observation, science, data, technology can uh, support and sustain and protect uh, tribal cultural heritage. Wonderful, James. I know already that it's going to be a very big challenge for us to squeeze some of the stories from all of these different projects, initiatives, programs that you're involved with. I I just wanted to say, first of all, for the benefit of the listener, the the Lakota language story map, and thanks for the Lakota greeting. That was that was wonderful. That you and I worked on together was designed to be well, like a lot of maps and GIS projects, it, it had sort of a 
initial goal and then a bigger and more noble goal, right? The initial goal was to have students understand what the word for boundary, oichago, and uh, hill, paha, etc., what the Lakota word was for landforms and also human imprint on the landscape. So we created a story map together, and that was that was a lot of fun. But the more noble goal was, as you're touching on here, to call attention to endangered indigenous languages and use mapping, GIS, story maps as a way for people to say, you know, I can use these tools to to foster knowledge of and deeper immersion in indigenous languages. So I'm hoping that uh, that planted some seeds. I think it did. And I'd love to pursue some more projects along those lines with you. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay, James. Well, can you describe any of those, the, the Geo-Indigenous Alliance, your work with the University of Colorado? By the way, I'm an mm -hmm. alum of the University of Colorado. So I love the fact that, you're, yet, that you've got a position there. Go Buffs. Go Buffalo. Go Buffs. Yeah. And <laughs> so any one of those roles that you have, if you could explore those a little bit more for the listener, that would be great. Yeah. Well, let me start with the, the big one, and that's the Geodigious Alliance. So two years ago, I was invited to give the intervention at the Geo uh, Group on Earth Observations Ministerial Summit in Canberra, Australia. So the first time I traveled, got to travel abroad uh, in 2019. I gave the intervention and I really focused on the importance of working with tribal nations. Uh, working with tribal knowledges, and which means the people as well, and also how do we how do we build or how do we continue to develop the capacity of tribal nations to youth earth observation? So there's been there's been uh, progress, I would say, in the last two years on our geo indigenous alliance front. We have a website now, which uh, hopefully I'll share with the audience. Uh, we um, we did a summit really for the first time in the history of the group group on earth observations, which is a, a, a global organization. And so we brought together uh, tremendous uh, indigenous scholars, practitioners to share their work with us in the world. And uh, so we captured that. So that's on our website, uh, it's on a report. We also um, participate in many other related events uh, through the UN, um, disaster reduction and risk recovery is also part of our portfolio. Uh, so we've, we've written a paper, which will be published. It was accepted for one of these uh, major um, organization. So it will be published here in, in early in 2022. Again, this is really led by indigenous uh, leaders who put this paper together, and we're really happy about that. Uh, we've just been involved in a number of other events. Um, the biggest one coming up next is uh, COP26. So we do have a side event at COP26, and it's Women's Empowerment Utilizing Earth Observations and Climate. So, um, so that work continues to build a global network uh, began to look at issues like capacity building, training, and such. And I'm really excited to say that we also are going to focus on the youth. So we have a youth component to the Indigenous Alliance, meaning that we're we're starting up an ambassador effort, ambassador program. And so we want to identify Indigenous youth who are doing or want to do uh, earth observation work in their community to address a local issue that, that um, can be solved, for instance, using uh, two ways of knowing. So we're really happy about that. We also do hackathons, Joseph hackathons. So if you know what those are, your audience mm -hmm. knows. And so again, it's solving problems at the local level, utilizing all these great tools, great people, and great expertise. The um, the work within um, on a smaller scale um, at the uh, at the at the uh, adaptation center is um, really about planning. And so we just delivered a, 
a summit, a climate summit with the Standing Rock Sea Tribe about two weeks ago, and it was tremendous. We had over 6,700 participants uh, follow and participate through the Zoom platform, and where we talked about the big issues, again, affecting our region, like fire, drought, um, water resources, um, just, just really um, going deep into, you know, what's happening and um, how can tribes begin to prepare and to plan and to develop the kind of initiatives that are going to mean something for them. Again, that's, a, that's an online, um, that's online, it was through Facebook Live, so you, you probably could find that through the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe Facebook. Um, also, I think that what's really good is that we just also uh, put together a, a major, major NSF um, proposal through CU on the CU side of this to look at earth uh, environmental science data and how we can uh, make uh, and develop a center that would uh, be more inclusive to all people from all backgrounds. And so we're excited mm -hmm. that we were able to pull together a very dynamic team. And I get to be a part of that in the senior leadership to work with uh, tribes, tribal colleges, and tribal communities within urban areas like Denver. And how do we, again, how do, the question is, how do we um, bring those voices and, and those folks into um, the data science um, sectors and programs and education? And so that's, that's exciting, whether we get proposal or not. Um, I think just going through the, going through the effort of how you build mm -hmm. partnerships, you know, how do you, um, understand the work and um, what are the best ideas going forward to do this kind of work. It's been great. And so those are some highlights at this point. I think that, um, you know, going forward with um, these efforts, again, I think well, we all understand that uh, there is a big need for tribal students to get involved in data science and, and like geospatial technologies. That's still the need. You and I met over 2005 or so. Mm -hmm. We were talking about this back then. I think we've made um, some progress, but there's still so much to do, especially with, you know, with big, big data, big data, right? Open data, big, those whole issues about data, again, uh, confronts our communities. And we just have to figure out, you know, how we're going to use that data to address the major problems tribes are facing. And I'll give you one more example, then I'll, I'll, then I'll, I'll stop. Um, COVID-19, again, has been a, a big impact on our tribal nations. Um, I've been a part of projects here um, in, the, in the West where I, I've worked and in, in observed and partnered with tribes using geospatial technologies to map their communities again and to identify those areas of most vulnerability in terms of their elders and knowledge holders. And so, again, ESRI has been a great partner in supporting the tribes that do that work. And, um, and we continue to do that. I think, it, I think what I've seen is these projects like this have really begin to demonstrate the, the importance of data and mapping and how people can use those tools and how they can be local, whether it's students or whether it's tribal leaders, managers and such. You know, those things are important. That's all part of the, of the system or part of the strategy that we've got to continue to push forward. So, so I just sort of want to share those, um, those updates with you, Joseph, the kind of things I'm doing right now. James, I don't know where to begin. This is so inspiring, but also so needed, right? When you, you refer to when you and I met almost 20 years ago, certainly lots has changed. Geotechnology has evolved. We have, and other technologies, we, we have the ability for students of all ages to 
engage with these tools to make to be the change agents in their communities, in their tribal colleges, in their in their regions, wherever they happen to be, and in the world as never before. And also, you're touching on another thing that you know when you and I would be talking about you know natural hazards and population change and soil degradation and water quality and all that kind of stuff, along with others in the community years ago. Now more than ever, I don't you think that the, the, the awareness is at like an all-time high? So at least, at least we've made progress with the tools and the awareness. But as you're, as you're hinting at, there's still lots of challenges where a lot of people aren't connecting the need for education, training in, in these, not just the tools and the data sets, but also the way you've woven in indigenous ways of learning and knowing looking at the world in it in, in a holistic way which is desperately what we need to solve these issues that confront our communities and our planet uh, you've been you've been at this a long time and are you optimistic are you, do you think mm. we're making progress in these areas mm. well that's a very good question and you know well i appreciate your title uh, geo inspiration so i I want to be inspirational today, Joseph, and um, I would say that what I've seen so far in terms of the young people that I've, that I've met through just recently within the past year or two um, and learning what they're doing and how they're taking, I think, um, I really talk about four, the four R's in my work here and how I think about um, the connections between uh, Indigenous people and, and sort of the rest of the world. I think um, what we need to do again is continue to instill and remind our, our indigenous youth, it's their responsibility. I think when you have, when you develop a sense of responsibility, um, I think that's the big, that's the big sort of big, um, big data point, if you will, or inflection point that you have to overcome to actually get committed, you know, to become a, a mapper or get your education or begin to come on, develop this career pathway to use these tools. Um, I think that I've learned also in this project work that that reciprocity is such a big one too. The second R is that, you know, when uh, we come together in partnership, you know, we expect that what's given is also what's received and taken. It's also received and given back. And so there's a sense of, um, of ethics there. And I think that, you know, when we talk about the land, we talk about different ways of knowing and how these tools again can uh, address these things. I think this whole idea of, of reciprocity and this whole, uh, sense of values um, still is needed. Um, you know, this creates a sense of relationality. When you're in relationship with something or someone, you know that there's obligations, there's understanding of how we do this work and what and why we do it. And when it gets difficult, you know, then we have the resilience to carry it through and continue to work. I've met elders and all kinds of people through this world that I've witnessed her work, witnessed her life, and they continue to talk about persistence and just uh, knowing that they had a responsibility uh, to the next generation. And I do think that, you know, to be inspirational, I think you also have to think, you know, this next seven generation idea in the future, that the decisions that we make in today, you know, we have to think about the future. And I think with all that, it's overwhelming for any culture, anybody to think seven generations ahead. But but I think the indigenous people again have shown uh, through the through the ages that um, we have a role to play. Uh, certainly, our world has changed uh, since time immemorial, but we have something like climate change now affecting us and confronting us. And so, our work you know, on the global stage, if you will, 
uh, reminds us again about, for instance, the biodiversity, right? They say biodiversity, how much that biodiversity that's important to deal with climate change is under the stewardship of indigenous people or indigenous nations around the world. So we are a key player. We need to be a key player uh, in the whole strategy of how to deal with climate. And we believe that the tools like earth observations and such are, are needed uh, to monitor those management plans, uh, to develop new ideas. And finally, again, is to build a workforce, the workforce that can work on these issues, can, can be paid uh, to do this work, to take care of their families, and to be in the community, uh, to be those ground truthers of, of that kind of work. So those are things I think um, what, what gets me optimistic that, that, that we have to do this. We don't have a choice. And that I think um, Indigenous people are, are, are finding their rightful place in this conversation. And, and I get to be a part of that as with other Indigenous leaders. That's so well articulated, James. Remind the, the listener your, your R's. You got reciprocity in there, relationships. Responsibility and, and, and relevance or, um, or relationality. Yeah, relevance is another one. I forgot the relevance one, but I think the point of relevance is that, that what we do uh, together is relevant to the community needs, right? It's important that, that we participate in things that um, support our issues and support our research needs and support our development rather than somebody else's um, agenda. Many of the listeners of GeoInspirations are in geotechnologies, planning, related earth environmental sciences. And so the, they're, so much of what you're saying is going to resonate with them. But I think you're also hinting at the ultimate goal of using these tools. Yes, you can get a meaningful career and you've got some meaning, you know, some some practical skills that you're going to bring to your organization, nonprofit, your government agency, your 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 academic institution, your private company, where, wherever you end up working, or if you're a private consultant for that matter. But also, and more importantly, you're you're touching on that higher goal, that more noble goal, and that is great that you understand things a little bit deeper and and in a richer way in a more holistic way, whether it's soil or water or climate or natural hazards or the other health, the other things that you touched on. The, but the goal is to do something with that knowledge and those skills, right? You're building a better, more resilient, healthier, happier community world and world and all the scales in between with these tools, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I think, you know, you know, and you hit it right. I mean, I think that, you know, as an indigenous person, you know, I sort of have an indigenous worldview as well as understanding uh, another worldview, like a Western European worldview, for instance, and how we both look at the world. And I think it's not one system's better than the other or that. I think the question is how do we utilize both ways of knowing to apply to issues that affect us all? You know, climate affects us all. And so I think the more that we can, I would say reset the table in terms of how we collaborate. And I know that in this kind of this new era of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and justice, I call it Jedi, because um, I'm a Star Wars guy, Jedi. I hope the, hope the fans uh, like that. But it's not my turn, but I like it, right? And, and I think justice is important uh, because more and more as we look at the world now, the landscape of the world, the social interactions now, as cultures grow and um, interact more and more, and the issues are are more difficult and more complex. Um, you know, we have to have an understanding of our histories. 
And so I think those sort of things, again, Joseph, are, it's more than just the technology, right? It's more than just uh, these components of it. It's, uh, it's really looking at, you know, how do we, I, I like to reset the table or even create a mm -hmm. new table um, mm -hmm. that, that can address some of these big, big issues that indigenous people have faced for, for many years. And so I get to be part of some of those conversations. And I do think that to your question about, you know, how do we do this work? I think it goes back to the youth. I am, I'm now, you mentioned, I've been on this for a while now, 27 years knowing you. And um, I find myself now really really thinking about how, what kind of youth efforts can we support? Um, what kind of mentoring programs can we do? What kind of coaching efforts can we create? All those things I think matter in terms of how we do this, something called intergenerational knowledge transfer. Um, the COVID-19 um, pandemic, again, has demonstrated to us as tribal people the vulnerability of our knowledge holders and our elders. We lost a lot of elders in the COVID-19, that first round. And these were people who are language speakers, who are knowledge holders, or ceremonial leaders, people who help sustain our tribes. And we lost many of them. And so I think that uh, the conversations we're having is, you know, where do we go from here? How do we protect what we have? But also, you know, how do we protect, what ways do we do that? And I know that um, our connection to the land and how we use um, technologies like mapping and data and, uh, and those sort of things have to be part of the conversation. It's, it's like this idea, this elder said, it's, it's co-development and also co-protection. Co-development and co-protection. I like that because that tells me that, um, and this is just based on history, that um, we have to be careful, we have to be intentional, and, and we have to be deliberate of how we work on together to do these kind of work. Indeed. I'm also encouraged. And one of the things that I know that drives you and I forward is you mentioned working with the youth. I like working with groups of all ages. I know you do as well. But you mentioned your trip to Canberra. Good on you, mm -hmm. mate. She'll be right. <laughs> One of the best hackathons I've ever been involved with was in Perth, Australia. And, you know, for one thing, the students, most of the students there wear uniforms, school uniforms. So they all came in their school uniforms. There was a small team from every school and mm. uh, in, in Western Australia, or at least most of the schools. Mm. And it was just such a joy. And like you, mm -hmm. like you're hinting at, it gives you great hope for the future because they actually do care. They do care about their communities. They're not just, you know, what some articles say, they're just interested in getting a career that makes them a lot of money. Nobody mentioned that at the whole day I was work, working with these, these students. And it, it's, it's very inspiring. And like you say, though, we can't just sort of rest on our laurels and say, oh, they're, they're in a good situation. They're going to be change agents in the society. What about people that don't feel connected to their community, that don't feel connected to the environment? You see, you know, evidence of people littering in a, in a beautiful place. And of course, every place has its own beauty. But that, that kind of thing grieves us. It's like, how can you be so disconnected from the, the one planet that we all share that you're going to do something like that? Okay, so then it comes back to, you know, what kind of training, what kind of education did they not have? The way they never, did they never have a field, co a course that, did, that got them out in the field, you know, when they were kids? Who knows? There's probably a variety of reasons. Um, but I'm, I'm ultimately, though, like you, encouraged by working with a wider and wider community in 
science, geotechnology, education than we ever have before. We still have a long way to go, as you as you're as you're talking about. But yes, we're we're making progress, and I think what you're involved with is making great strides. It's really planting so many. Sh- not just seeds, but I would say you're watering the shrubs that are growing into, you know, the pine pine ridges behind you in the in the picture that I'm looking at behind you. James, what about this? Is there something that you did or a teacher or a book or an experience that you had as a young person that kind of convinced you into going into science, technology, education, and all the other things that you've got going on as an adult? I mean, what was there a nudge point or was it just a grab? What Describe some sort of, you know, how, how did you end up doing what you're doing now, you know, looking back at yourself as a, as a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old? Mm. Well, that's a long way, that's a long way to go. <laughs> <laughs> but but I'm, I'm happy to think about that. Uh, I know that, um, I guess one way to answer that question for me is, uh, you know, as a young person, um, you know, so I grew up, I grew up, um, I was born on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota. And I moved to Rosebud, which is about 100 miles east of Pine Ridge in South Dakota. So I went through K through 12 in a town called White River, South Dakota, a small town, like 700 people, very rural. Um, but it also it was also adjacent and part of the Rosebud Sioux Tribe Reservation. So even though we weren't on the reservation per se, we were right next to it. And but my parents and my dad, and I, and I give a lot of credit to my parents, first of all, is uh, I, had, I had really good parents and, and they valued education. And so um, early on in my life, you know, they instilled uh, the value of education and through their own, through their own work, their own experiences, but also they made it a way for, for myself and my brothers and sisters to pursue education. So they tried to remove the barriers or minimize the barriers, but also left some barriers in place so that I can learn how to overcome those barriers to get me ready you know, for the real world. I think the other part of it was that um, I got to travel. Um, so as a young person, I knew the world was bigger than South Dakota or very, bigger than the Rosebud Sioux Tribe. So I got to see America uh, from Florida to, um, to the Midwest and to the Southwest, just because my parents and the work that they did at the time uh, required them to travel. So I got to see the big world right away. So I knew that. Uh, I think the third part of it is I didn't grow up with TV. Um, I didn't grow up with TV or we, we didn't have movies back then as a dating myself, um, they have a movie theater. Um, so, um, so I had to develop a sense of imagination. And uh, we have this really little bitty shack of a library and wherever I remember that. And it was so unused and it was dusty. It was a dusty library. And I would go to, <laughs> looking back, I was pretty nerdy, but going back, I, I would find books in that little dusty old library in wherever South Dakota and in those books, you know, I think it created and allowed me to become an explorer. And so I would go places through those books and I would allow my imagination uh, to really um, go and to just allow myself to, you know, and such I love reading. That was again from my parents. They provided all those like encyclopedias back then. And so I was just a avid reader. And, um, and finally, I would say it's just, um, it was just a sense of, I guess, as an indigenous person, you grow up knowing that um, that uh, they see gifts and talents in you um, as, as a young person. And so through our cultural ways and our cultural ceremonies and practices, um, you know, we, we, we can be identified as someone for a certain task going forward. And they encourage that young person 
uh, to pursue those things. So I had a lot of that support growing up, Joseph. And um, so by the time I left high school to pursue college, you know, I really did have a sense of support. I had a, I had a system that helped me. And um, plus, you know, with, with opportunities that came to me, I took advantage of them. And um, hopefully um, that in some ways I, I can give that back, but that's kind of um, how I see um, where I got to be where I am today. Plus, you know, I had good friends. I mean, I, I love to collaborate. I love to learn. I had a lifelong learning value growing up as well. So those all kind of position me to do what I'm doing today. There are so many gems in what you're saying, James. I mean, I, I think of Richard Louvre, you know, the whole last child in the woods and the value of getting out in the field when you're a young person to develop that earth ethic. Mm. Uh, you know, you and I both grew up in, in small towns. And yeah, I loved getting out in the field as well. And on, on reading and the value of reading in public libraries, I'm right with you there. I remember reading la, uh, the, the Last Great Auk about those flightless birds that went extinct in 1842 off of Iceland. And every year I would read that book and every, it was, it sort of personified the last family of these magnificent flightless birds that basically swam from Iceland to North Carolina and back every year. And every year I would get to the end of that book and I knew it was going to happen. I knew the, the, the three guys with the clubs were going to be on that Island with the last family of the ox and they were going to club them to death. And I'm like, I would get to that point in the book every year and say, how could we let this happen? These were magnificent birds. And, and then, you know, as I got a little bit older, okay, what can I do in my own pathway to help mm. in some way prevent something like that from happening, this, this extinction of a, of a magnificent species. So I'm right with you on the, the value of, of reading and travel. In my case, you know, people, as you and I have talked about, people came to us because my parents owned a motel. Mm. And so people would travel to us and I would get, I would get to meet their travels basically from the stories that they would tell when they would visit our, mm -hmm. our uh, lodging establishment. So yeah, we traveled a little bit too, but it was mostly people coming to us, which was a fascinating kind of a way to grow up. It really was. It really fostered my love for, you know, different places and people and okay, James, what about this? You touched on this a little bit, but with some of the things that you've done in the past and present, but what, what project or initiative are you the most proud of being involved with? And maybe it's all of the things that you mentioned that you're currently involved with, but was there some project or something that really stands out that you're like, you know, I'm really glad I was a part of that. I really mm. feel pleased and I can tell other people that I'm glad I was a part of that. Yeah. Well, you know, I think there's been, there's been many uh, in my life. Uh, so I have, I'm not saying I had a long career, but it, it's, it's getting there. Um, I feel like I have so many other things that I want to do, but I think, you know, um, you know, one recent one was just, you know, being, being, uh, the, the, the official United States of America representative, first American Indian to give the intervention at the group on earth. Prime Minister. I mean, that, that's, that never happened. I, now it was an honor to represent our country, represent my nation. I have this great photo of me with uh, bringing the Rosebud Sioux tribe flag with me. And to be among other indigenous leaders and nations and to talk about, you know, the big issues facing the world. I mean, that's the recent one I think that I, um, I'll never forget that. And I just, I just so appreciate everybody that was there with me and supported me. And I thought that was just, for me, it was just one of the highlights to have that 
have that opportunity. I think the other thing I like too is that um, way back when we developed this thing called Res Mapper. You remember, you remember mm. Res Mapper? Oh, yeah. It was on CDs. Yeah, that was. And for a time, CDs. it was like, wow, innovative. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was pretty cool that we did that. And I just loved Res Mapper, the title of it. And again, it was our first effort to bring together different partners and funded by the NSF uh, to do this kind of this data viewer. Right. Way back when and bring yep. different data. You know, we brought in like, uh, you know, video and, and audio and historical maps, new maps. Uh, we brought in, you know, cultural cultural photographs and uh, treaties and just it was just a multimedia kind of a thing that brought different data things together for really what I thought that would be very useful to our community members. So I, I love the whole um, ResMapper um, product development process and you know, not being a part of that before, just learning from others of how you do those things was really great. Um, I think another maybe highlight has been was when I um, – we were trying to build this tribal college. Again, I just want to highlight some tribal college here. We tried to build a consortium called Native View, which is really a, a consortium of tribal colleges to really support them as they built their, their geospatial programs back then. And having, you know, annual meetings every year. And then also taking those meetings to the ESRI Users Conference, right, in San Diego and, and uh-huh. presenting the maps, uh, doing talks and, and workshops and such. I really enjoyed, I really did enjoy, you know, uh, that work uh, with that consortium building activities and just, you know, seeing different colleges come together at different places of development and supporting one another, sharing and then kind of visioning a little bit of what they can do. So, so those are three things, I guess, that I would say in terms of this topic today, what I am, um, what I could think of that uh, I really enjoyed. Isn't it wonderful that we have these geospatial tools and data sets, story maps, et cetera, multimedia dashboards, infographics at our fingertips. But you're touching on, I think, something that's important to recognize is that this all just didn't happen. We're standing on the shoulders of, of giants and giant projects like ResMapper and the other things that you mentioned, that they were all important development efforts along the way. In other words, GIS wasn't invented when Google Maps came around, right? right. Uh, we've got elements and people that have made it happen and, and vision to make it happen, goals and dreams. Maybe some of those dreams were realized, maybe some of them weren't, but it's important to have those dreams, you know, for the listener listening to this. Mm-hmm. Also, um, when you, you talked about, you know, some shining moments that, that you know, kind of get you, th- they, these moments kind of get us through the difficult days at work, right? When we're doing things that, uh, you know, I've got to do this and it's not maybe my main passion, but I've got to do this because I've got to write this grant proposal or whatever it is. But those are the moments that get us through some of the challenges that we face. And for me, you know, just in all honesty, working with you at Sintagleska University on the Rosebud lands for those many times that we did those sessions, those workshops, they were some of my finest memories actually of my whole career i love going up there also from colorado i would travel a different way through the sand hills every time every Mm -hmm. single time i went a different way i would drive there every time and it was absolutely magnificent to not just fly into a place and not have any connection to the land but actually going up there from you know and encountering all those different eco regions along the way so i love working with you there and those students that and hopefully we planted a lot of seeds uh, I was just a small player in there. I mean, you really carried the torch through um, your your steadfast efforts at that university for for a long time. Thinking about the listener here 
what's your advice for maybe a new person that's new in science, any of the enviro geosciences that we talked about, but even science in general, mm-hmm. and using technology in meaningful ways? What, what's your advice to a new professional in sort of this broad zone? Well, that's a good. That's a great question, and um, you know, part of my my work again is how do you bring um, the different ways of knowing together? How do you bring organizations that are different together? And so I've uh, I've invested in some of my my time and efforts and knowledge into something called cultural intelligence. And I would say um, I would say that um, for the young person who uh, is getting in science, um, you have to learn how to work with people different than yourself. And so I would recommend developing. Um, a capability, a competence in cultural intelligence. And cultural intelligence simply simply is just, you know, what is your motivation? What is your motivation to learn to be or work with something different? You may have to, or you may choose to, but the point is the world is changing. So how do you work with cultures, organizations, culturally, they have their cultures too, different than yourself. I think the second part of cultural intelligence is your knowledge. So I would encourage you to experience different cultures, read about them, uh, understand that there's value there as well, not just because you think they're valuable, but they're value in itself. I think the else part of this is, is as you think about these encounters, um, there's something called your strategy again. It's just, how do you prepare for intercultural situations? How do you prepare to deal with something different than yourself? And then finally, I'd say is your interaction um, you know, we're faced with diversity right now, and I do believe that, that that's not going to end. So you have to learn how to, in the moment, learn how to work with people when things don't happen the way you think they're going to happen based on your motivation, your knowledge, and your strategy. So to me, it takes cultural intelligence really to navigate uh, today's world. And I think that's a foundation, I think, that will help you as you work, you know, whether in government or in, in academics or community or with indigenous people. So I think that's foundational, Joseph. And I know that, um, you know, you can have coaching, you can have mentoring. Um, I would say that, um, you know, if you can't find somebody who would work with you uh, to be a mentor, I think that I've always learned that that's really important because uh, that could be a lifelong mentor. And uh, if that's a person who would invest in time in you, which is really important. And finally, maybe my third point would be, Joseph, is that, um, you know, develop a network. Uh, start building a network right away, whether through university or through schooling, research, um, build a strong network and uh, with those people. And you never know, um, even in, in, in my time in my life here, uh, I still are connected to people like Joseph. That network started maybe in 2005 or sooner. How could it be that we still know each other today, even though our lives have changed in so many ways, yet he sends me an email or a call, and I pay attention to that because I know he's my friend, he's my colleague, and I know um, we've done things together, and, and we may do things in the future. So those are three things, I guess, I would say, Joseph, um, to answer your question. Gosh, James, anything I say is going to be detracting from those <laughs> wise words that you've shared. No, seriously. Um, and I've, I, too, hope that the listeners – are realizing, you know, based on especially the last things that you shared, that we're not just saying you should go out and network, you should go out and share with others. But we're, or we've actually, both of us have benefited from not just on a professional level, but on a personal level, 
and on a human level, our our friendship over over these decades. I mean, we're really we do firmly believe in this. We're not just telling the listener to do this. We we have personally experienced exactly what James is talking about, and I just think James, what what you're involved with. Another thing that that I think is important for the for the listeners of this is that we all, especially in education and science and the other things you've touched on today, there's so many things that we could be involved with and so many groups that we could be working with. We can't do it all. I mean, we're all finite human beings. So what I think you're very well exemplifying is choosing things that actually will make a long-term impact. I mean, you talked about the seven generations uh, down the road. Wow. I think what you're doing is, is actually making very positive differences in the planet and also in people's lives. So again, I, I, I salute you. I, I admire you, James, seriously. The, I think about the, the many things that could detract us from these bigger and more noble goals that are, could be very worthwhile to do, but I encourage you know, the people to, to, to look at James's pathway and say, okay, they may be important for today or tomorrow, but what am I going to do that's going to make a long-term impact? And that sometimes takes years to figure out, right? Mm-hmm. I'm still trying to figure that out, but I think you're a good example, a really wonderful example of someone who has vision mm-hmm. and is really seeking. I mean, every day you have to make decisions about, okay, am I going to, am I going to make progress on these, on these higher goals or not? And sure, we all have days, maybe even weeks, maybe even months that we don't feel like we've made progress. But James, I just think this has been wonderful. And I really appreciate the time that you've spent today. And just for the person that you are and the vision that you have, I'm looking forward to further collaboration with you down the road. Well, thank you, Joseph, again, for the opportunity to be with you and your listeners today. Uh, thank you for programs like you, Inspirations, to um you know, to bring awareness to the people and the work going forward. And I would just, again, encourage uh, listeners that, um, you know, it's le- you mentioned the word leadership. We didn't talk about lava, but it does require leadership. And leaders lead. I like to say this, leaders lead. That's what they do. And I think each one of us can develop that leadership gift. It can be, it can be inherited, but it also can be learned. And I think once we develop that sense of responsibility for the planet and for one another, um, I think that's what keeps me going and helps me uh, you know, be a part of some really cool things. And so not, it's not all about me, but it's about, again, about the community and about what we're trying to do. And so thank you again, Joseph. It's been great to um, visit with you today. And I hope that um, uh, this was helpful to your audience. I trust that it has. It's wonderful to talk with you again. And I know you've planted some good seeds in people's thinking today. Thanks again, James.